All right, good morning. Man, it's, it's, uh, it's really good to have you here if you're visiting with us. Um, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 84. We're going to spend uh, just a few more weeks in this psalm. I want to invite you uh, to open up your Bible and kind of, um, uh, we're just going to kind of be right here in verse 6. Uh, we have the banner on this side. Um, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Uh, this particular verse um, in, in my life uh, has impacted me a, a great deal. Uh, over the years. And, and this psalm is one of my favorite psalms, if not my favorite. Um, I guess psalm, uh, I, I don't know, I have a couple of psalms that are up there, but this particular verse, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Um, and so I want to focus on what that means uh, to me anyway in just a minute, but I want to begin uh, just by reading through the first six verses, and then we'll come before God in a prayer and what we do, I'm going to pray about, pray about something in specific uh, that does have to do with the message today. I, w- I want you to think about somebody in your life. Uh, you know that kind of person that just brings light to a room? Uh, somebody who, when you're around them, you're just like, you are drawn closer to who Jesus is because of that person. They just exude the light of Christ. And, and the, the other is true also, right? There are people... Uh, being realistic, right? There are people who single-handedly can bring a room down. Just amazing how the darkness... Jesus even said something like this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, um, if your eye is good, your whole body is good. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is bad. If, if the light that is in you... He goes on and says this. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? talking about there's two different lights you can kind of bring to the world. One, that you're just transforming lives, and the other, that you are just bringing it down, right? So I want to lift up a prayer uh, just for our body, but kind of a prayer of thanksgiving for those people in your lives. Name them, right? Those people in your lives that you look at and you say, man, you, you make this life more tolerable. Uh, you make my walk with God more, you're inspiring me, that kind of a thing. Uh, let's just lift up that. Let, Father, I just want to come before you as we come before you, your word. And I just pray that we would make this a part of who we are, that we would have an experiential knowledge of this, not, not a head knowledge of this. Um, God, I want to lift up to you those that have gone before us and those that are even in this room, those people that really are the salt and the light that you call us to be. Uh, God, that just... Your fruit is so alive. Your spirit is so alive. And I pray that you would inspire us this morning through your word. Um, that you won't let this world, you won't let our sin, you won't let our doubts, you won't let all of the naysayers in our lives, you won't let that detract from, from what you're doing in us. And I just pray, Father, for your spirit to light a fire in every single one of our hearts and uh, to keep it constantly going before you. Uh, it's in the name of Christ uh, we come before you. Amen. How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord Almighty, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young placed near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my God, uh, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. 
Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Um, this, this word, Baca, I, I, you can say Baca. I don't say it that way because it speaks some Spanish and that means cow. And so I say Baca, so my mind goes there. But, uh, but um, as they pass through this place, the word means tears. It means weeping. Uh, we don't actually know if it was a literal valley or a literal canyon or not. It may have been. But the point is this. It, it, it means a place of pain and a place of tears. When I was thinking about this, it hit me how many times valleys in the Bible represent something negative. Um, mountains, you know, and, and I've loved to study about mountains and all these different mountains and what they meant and how what they represented in the minds of the Israelites. But how about the valleys? Here's some of the valleys. The Valley of Baca, we just talked about that. The Valley of Elah. Now, that's that's where David faced Goliath, right? The Valley of Sidim, that one's funny. That's where uh, you've seen Lord of the Rings. You know what the big big final battle is? It's the battle of what? Like the five armies. This is the battle of the nine armies. And it's a, it's a valley full of tar pits. Um, and they kept getting, some of the kings kept getting stuck and people died because they were stuck in there. Um, I'm letting that represent sin just for the purposes of this, right? Um, the valley of Echor, punishment. The valley of decision, judgment. The valley of slaughter, uh, defeat. The valley of Gehenna, you've heard of that one. That was sort of a dump that was outside of Jerusalem. And fires were continually burning there for the trash. And so they associated this with uncleanness and burn and far from God kind of a thing. So they call it Gehenna, right? Um, the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I, I heard somebody say something amazing um, recently about the valley of the shadow of death. I thought I'd pass it on to you. Rick Warren said this. You know the funny thing about the valley of the shadow of death? Shadows are often bigger than the actual object. When he said that, I was like, ooh, I like that. I'm going to pass that on. And shadows can't hurt you. And I thought those two things were really, really powerful when you talk about the valley of the shadow of death, the ultimate valley. But look at this. Valleys in Scripture over and over represent something typically dark, something that you're going to go through. We spend most of our lives in the valleys. Technically, we live in a valley. Um, I thought when I came to Colorado, I was going to be on mountains all the time. Um, the truth is, even when we go into the mountains, what, where are we? We're typically in the valleys. Um, the sun set on Friday. I was with Melinda. The sun started to set at 3.30 in the afternoon. And I realized why. Because I am in this valley. So valleys were associated with darkness because of the nature of canyons and valleys. They're associated with danger. Uh, valleys in the Bible were associated with war. They were associated with a lot of these things. Why? Because you're vulnerable in the valleys. And so maybe that's why you have this theme through Scripture of how difficult some of these valleys were. But it says this, and this is the context of a pilgrim going on a pilgrimage, coming before God and coming before His throne in Jerusalem. And it says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. They transform their environment. They bring something different. I was thinking about Jesus' words when he said this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what he means by that, I believe, it's, we don't have to get 
overly technical with it. We don't have to talk about what salt did. It's not important. Salt was the most important thing mined in Israel. It was simply that it was the treasure of the ground. It was what they mined for. It was what they were after. It's what had value. God, in a sense, mining and saying, you are the treasure that I'm after. You are that. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And, and I, lo- I love this idea that flows through Scripture. If God's people transform the world around them, they transform everything all the time. If I'm, I'm going to get my water real quick. A lot of you guys are like me. You like to fly fish. Um, or go up the, the Pooter Canyon or go up the Big Thompson or something like that. Now, you've experienced... Um, Man, if you, if you know the right fishing spots, you know this along the Poudre River, you go in there and it is beautiful. And, and I've tried to go, go, uh, describe what that means to me. Certain places that I like to fish or be at and what it means and, and, and try to tell other people about, you don't know how beautiful this is. You know how incredible this is. But a lot of times it would be like I went out to the Poudre River and I scooped up water in this water bottle. And I brought it to church, and I could say, this is the Poudre River. Now, if it were the water from the Poudre River, am I right? Is it the Poudre River? Some of y'all are saying yes, and some of y'all are saying no. But I could prove scientifically that it's the Poudre River. I mean, we could break down the water, and I could show you all the diseases. It is the, the Poudre River. I mean, I could show you. But no, it's, and, 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 and the reason I share this is with you is because sometimes I think that that's what we do in our walk with Christ. That, that, that there is this one kind of walk with Christ where C.S. Lewis describes it this way. There's a difference between looking at something and looking through something. There's a difference between studying God and having a head knowledge of who this God is, and knowing the life that is in Christ, that's in, in that river, that's in that water. Do you know that this theme of the river of life, the water of life, is a central theme all over Scripture? We talked about this morning in class, the tree of life, and how Scripture bookends with the tree of life in Genesis and the tree of life in Revelation. And somebody made an amazing point. Wow, it took us a long time. We went through so much to get back to the tree of life. And it finally, when the scripture ends, that's where we're at, that there's another scene, and it's what's next to the tree. Scripture opens with the river of life that flows through and waters the garden. And scripture closes with the river of life that flows through and waters the trees of life on either side of it. This image of this river of life, how about this? It's the closing image of Joel. The closing image of Zechariah. It's the closing image of Ezekiel, and he spends a couple of chapters on it. It's seven times mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Scripture opens with it, closes with it, and it's throughout Scripture a a river that is going to flow into the Arabah, into the desert, and bring life. And bring healing. And ultimately, in Ezekiel's account, it's amazing because it flows into the Dead Sea. And it's this place that is just dead and there's nothing can live in it. And it says, and life flourished in this. And this is a picture of us. Jesus, I think, was alluding to those passages when he said this. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow through him. 
Streams of living water will flow through that kind of person if you're living in me. That's John 7. In Isaiah 32, it says something similar. It says, each man will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert in the shadow of a great rock and a thirsty land. Uh, just look at this image, this picture. Um, this is how the Christian is described in Scripture. People that are desperate, the people that are going through so much and, and life is dried up. And this is what the Christian brings. Um, Isaiah talks about him being like a rock that casts a shadow that I needed to sit in your shade. Think of somebody that is that in your life. That right when you needed it was that person for you. It, I, I'm... I'm not ashamed to keep mentioning his name over the years because he, he impacted my life so much when I moved here. Uh, but Bob Bland, when I moved here, and Helen both, um, was this for me. Um, somebody could say something negative to me and say, and, and you'd be amazed. I, I, I don't know if you have those kinds of people in your life that say they have those barbed comments, you know, and, and they like to try to say hurtful things, but they, it's barbed so they can get away with it, you know? And, and people will do that to you, right? And you have that kind of stuff. When Bob Bland calls you on the phone on a Sunday afternoon and says, man, God spoke through you today, you know what? It doesn't matter what he was. <laughs> you know what? It's just like, you are water. You are healing. You provide that in someone's life. That is what the man, that is what the woman of God does in this world. They bring healing. They bring life where so many people around you are going to bring hurt they're going to bring death. They're going to say, Martin Luther King said this. I'm saying this because last, this last Monday was Martin Luther King. He said this, in this world, people are going to say many evil things about you. And you need to be prepared for that if you're going to stand up in this world. He said it may, be, it may mean losing job. If such is the case, you must rise up and save. It may mean physical death, like Medgar Evers and the three civil rights workers in Mississippi. You must come. This is still him, because I don't talk like this. You must come to see America, that there are some things so dear, some things so precious, some things so eternally true that they are worth dying for. And everything that he spoke of and everything he represented, because I know we're familiar with the I Have a Dream speech, go listen to his sermons. Oh, Wow. I mean, powerful. He kept speaking on this theme. We are in the world to bring positive change, to bring light to people and to bring life to people. That is what the Christian life is about. The problem is this. I mean, and it was the song that I grew up with. The very first song I can ever remember singing in church was this little light of mine. I've hated it all my life. I hate that song. But it's probably the most powerful song ever. I mean, if you, if you just look at the words and you didn't grow up with how cheesy you felt it was, man, I love it that he calls it, I can't believe I'm talking about, but this little light of mine, that part is already impactful because it's recognizing something that we all struggle with is, wow, what good am I? I, I am so small and I am so insignificant. This little light in my, I'm going to let it shine. And the most powerful part of that song uh, is the cheesiest part, but so wow. I'm not going to let Satan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But wow, so silly when you're going through it. And then later in life when you're like, there's so much truth to this. This is so true. Satan snuffed my light out. 
took it from me. And what are the things that caused that light to go out in my life? What are those things that caused that water when you were just exuberant? You were on. It only takes one person to come along. It only takes one person to come along and beat you down. Second Timothy says, avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. People in your life who tear you down will rob you of what God gave you. The second one is sin. Because, and it's so true, because the more I have sinned in my life, which I do, the more I see that in my life, the less I feel worthy to even bear Christ's light. I'm a failure. Therefore, I can't do what he called me to do. And that's a reality for so many people is until I get my life straight, then who am I to represent Christ in this world? But what we represent into this world, a large part of it, maybe the most important part, is his grace. Growing weary. Galatians 6 gives about the most impossible command in the New Testament. He says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap harvest if we don't give up. Uh, Isaiah 50 is an, a powerful verse. I want to share this with you. I wish I could say this, but this is so beautiful. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. He just talks about this idea. How do I sustain a weary spirit when you're just torn down? So your sin, growing weary, getting beat down by others. How about this one? Comparing yourself to others. Second uh, Corinthians 10 says we don't dare compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. All of these things will tear down your spirit. They'll bring you to a place where at one point you were bringing life, you were bringing water, you were bringing light, you were the salt. You were these pictures that Satan, that, that God is painting for what I'm called to be. But it takes, this discouragement happens and over time I don't simply become dead. I become a source of negativity. And I start to tear others down as well. And so I think it's important um, in our lives. And, and we're all going to go through this. And we go through it together. And that's why God has given us one another. But it's to recognize these things. Because the psalm says these kind of people can go through the worst in their life. They can go through pain. They can go through tragedy. And here's what the verse does not say. They don't go through the valley of weeping and dance through it. It's not what the verse is saying. They're not going through pain and putting a smile on their face and saying, life is actually joyful, even with all this. That's not what it's saying. It says this, even when they pass through death, they bring life. Even when they pass through pain, they're glorifying God, even in their pain. They are going through all of this, but God is still the light that shines through them. I believe this is what the verse uh, is saying. And so I want you to just have this picture in your head of maybe what David, uh, or in this case, the sons of Korah, these, they, what they might have experienced when they were in the wilderness, when they were in the desert, 
and you're going through and you're so thirsty. I was going through a wilderness with Brad about four years ago, and I was so incredibly tired and so incredibly thirsty that um, I finally got to a river, and I dunked my head in it, and I started drinking the water through his life straw, and I got sick for two years because of his stupid life straw. (laughs) But I was so thirsty. I was so incredibly thirsty. And I see that picture in biblical times when he came to a place like that. And can you just see him saying, "Mm, I know people like this. I know people that provide like this, that bring life, that wherever they go, this is what comes out of them. Guys, this is what God has designed for us to be. What I'm about to say is so relevant and and so important. And I just want to emphasize this, and I won't go too much longer, because this is something so important to me that we hear. The kind of joy that God intends to bring the Christian life has absolutely nothing to do with your environment. And I know that sounds trite, and I know we've heard that. But Philippians was written from prison. And the kind of joy that we experience in Christ, not dancing through pain, not dancing when I'm losing my loved ones, that's not what we're saying. But the kind of thing that is, I have life. And by the spirit that is alive in me, I'm not going to let people detract from that. I am going to allow God's spirit to shine in regardless of circumstances. But what we have experienced in our lifetimes in the church in the West has been something very, very different than that. At least my experience is. And that is this, that if the church service doesn't go well, I'm starving in my spirit. And if that person said that all of these things that come up then we're dead and we're dying and all this stuff, and it's no longer by the Spirit. It's by man's work. And it's not authentically from God, if that is the case. Now, if I stepped on your toes, I tried to jump on them. Okay. That is, the Spirit of God is so much richer than we have made it out to be. It's so much more powerful. And it's so much more impactful. When you see this kind of person that walks through even suffering, even dry times, even when their environment and everything's around them dead, but by the Spirit of God, they don't sit here and absorb that. And I wish I had this because I am that person that tends to absorb negativity rather than exude the positivity that I want to. But he says this, that kind of person driven by the Spirit transforms. But then he says something that I've missed for a long time that I think is just as powerful. He says, the autumn rains also cover it with pools. Now think about that image that he just painted. There's two things that are providing here. The one walking through the valley is watering the valley, is bringing life to where there was death. And then God also is sustaining. God also is pouring into it. And I do believe this. When you, um, this is Isaiah 40, right? Even the youths faint and grow weary. Young men utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. This God that supplies strength, that he supplies for our soul when we're thirsty and we're desperate, that's the God that we serve. 
And I want to ask this blessing over you. And this is the whole reason I wanted to start this year in Psalm 84 is because I believe when the Christian gets this, when we understand this, and that our life is coming directly from a walk with the Spirit, and that is what overflows into our lives wherever we go, then bring on the darkness because that's where the light is supposed to shine. Then bring on the dry areas because that's where I was called to go. Then bring that on. Because that's where the Christian goes and influences and makes a difference. That's exactly where we have to be. Um, and I want to ask that blessing over your work. I want to ask that blessing over where you are in the situation that you are in. And I really want us, introspectively, just to look at this and say, My God, is this a picture of me? Is this a picture of who I am? And did Satan, that somewhere along the, the, the road, did my enemy come along and somehow take that joy from me? Did he somehow take that life from me? That influence from me? And if that's what's happened, I just want to get on my knees and I want us to get on our knees and say, if the Spirit is not in us, alive, and if Jesus promised that, man, whoever believes in me, the river of life essentially says living water will flow through him. If that's not a picture of me, my God, please make that a picture of me. There's two words in, in a lot of languages for to know in Spanish you have conocer and saber, and there's a difference between the two. If you saber something, if you that knowledge of something means you know it in your head. But the conocer is what you say about a person, I know, I, I, or a place. I know that person. I know that place. I have an experiential knowledge of it. It's where I live. And I believe that is so true with that water analogy about our walk with God, that it can be something that's in our head that we know these verses. But there is such a difference between me trying to present the Poudre River to you like this and say, hey, this is the word of God. This is what it's like. There's a difference between that and me just taking you to the river and throwing you in and experience the beauty of what a walk in that is. When you're walking in the spirit like that, compared to when it's just a, a head knowledge, that is all the difference in the world and there's no way to fake that. And I want to just ask that blessing over this church and over our walk, that that is what defines us and this body. Um, Father, I, I want to acknowledge your presence, um, and I don't do that as often as I want to, um, but we're standing, uh, figuratively, we're, we're standing before your throne, recognize your presence with us, and God, you know that the man that stands before you right now, um, that there are at least two different versions of me. And um, I can be dark, and I can be cynical, and I can be cold. And I hate that. And I ask, Father, that you would continue to be at work in us with your transformative power that we will not allow um, all of the negativity. And please don't use our own brothers and sisters in you. And don't, don't allow my tongue to tear down another.
But God, even in the world, everything, there's so much that wants to discourage us and bring our spirits down and bring us to a place where our faith is just private. And I ask God that you would not allow that, that your spirit would flow not just in us, but it would flow through us, that this picture of the river of life, I I believe, I'm certain, it's a picture of us. And I pray, God, that, um, that we would get lost in that current, that we would get lost in your spirit, and that wherever we go, we would bring life, not even in our suffering, but, Father, maybe, maybe especially there. I just pray, Father, that you would be glorified and that this world would see the light of you in this body. I pray that you would challenge every single individual right now that's here. And especially, Father, I want you to challenge those that are so far from these words that their heart seems impenetrable. And I pray by your Spirit you would break our hearts to see this truth. And that, God, the church would know today that your kingdom is not suffering Your kingdom is alive and active in this world. And I ask your blessing over that kingdom in this country, in this county, in this city, and where we're at right now. I pray, Father, that your kingdom would be defined by Psalm 84 and not by the way man looks at things. It's in the name of um, our Lord. Father, you're continually with us. It's by your authority and by your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.